There we go. Sometimes it's longer than five or six seconds. <laughs> and the video's running. Welcome! As we continue on in our study of the New Testament, we're working through the New Testament right now on Wednesdays, a chapter at a time. And we've done the book of Matthew, we've done the book of Mark, we've done the book of John, we came back and we're working through Luke now. And when we finish the book of Luke, we're moving right into the book of Acts. Um, and you know why we're doing that, so if you've been coming, because both Luke and Acts were written by Luke, and they were written to Theophilus. You guys are good. Theophilus means lover of God. See how that's so good. Lover of God. So we, we actually believe it was actually written to a man named Theophilus. It happened to mean lover of God. And yet some people believe that it was written to all lovers of God, which is good too. It works. Okay? Because it was written as much to you and I as it was to Theophilus. And so um, Luke, very similar to Matthew and Mark. We've discussed all that in, in a lot of ways and the way things are presented. But Luke had more of a focus towards Gentiles. He talks a lot about getting saved and what it takes to get saved. And he uses illustrations in the life of Jesus to sort of um, back those points up. And we, um, we looked at Luke 18 last week. And, and in Luke 18, I said it was uh, primarily uh, the whole chapter was kind of about the way that we see and, and opening our eyes to see things with um, godly wisdom and insight. And that the illustrations lead up to the final story in the chapter, which is the blind man um, calling out to Jesus and receiving sight, because he called out in faith. And Luke 19 sort of picks up the thread there about um, having faith in Jesus. And then he, he goes on to talk about the cost of discipleship. And, and that's what we're going to look at today. We're, we'll sort of cover the first... Um, uh, 40 verses very briefly. Um, the, the last little chunk kind of ties in better with the next chapter, and we'll probably leave it for the next study. But let's go ahead, and I'm going to read Luke uh, chapter 19 uh, to you, verses 1 through 48. I'll be reading out of the NIV. It's along in your notes. If you want to open your Bibles and read along, you can. Bibles are in the pews if you'd like to grab them there. I don't really not a pew in the rows. And uh, uh, you can follow along however you want to do. If you have your own Bibles, great. Open those up. If it's a different translation, just know that I'm in the New International Version. Luke 19, beginning in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed in a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So when, when you read that, how many of you went to Sunday school and heard that ridiculous little song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed into the sycamore tree. See what, blah, blah, blah. So, I'm sorry. It's been in my head. And it won't go away. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation 
has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. And then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant, another servant came and said, sir, here's your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to one who has ten. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever written. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked him, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices, loud voices, for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now... It is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple. But the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it, because all the people hung on his words. And blessed be the word of the Lord. So Luke 19 picks up this thread that we talked about, about the power of faith in Jesus last week. 
And as I said, at the end of 18, we see the blind man crying out uh, to Jesus for healing, and he receives it. And uh, we made the connection throughout that whole chapter, uh, how faith in Jesus helps us to see God more clearly, um, to have our eyes open to what he's doing, and, and to help us realize that the focus is not all about us. Because that's what happens to many of us. Our focus gets off. And um, we don't see what God is doing. We get very sort of tunnel vision, very narrowly focused, and we miss the bigger picture. And that the Pharisees had been doing that, and that was the problem. And this great distinction now has been drawn out since back in Luke chapter 9 about you have to choose to follow Jesus and um, what that looks like and what it means to be a disciple, and that the Pharisees have chosen absolutely chosen not to follow him, and in fact, they're spending all their time now trying to kill him. And yet they're, they're not successful because the people are there listening, and uh, they, they, can't, they can't make it happen. They're, they're trying everything they can think of, can't make it work. Remember, again, these are the representatives of God, and um, the, the ones that are supposed to uphold the commandments, and yet they're actively violating as many as they can in trying to shut Jesus down. And we've talked about this uh, in uh, all these chapters. We've seen it sort of play out before us. Now, in the first ten verses of Luke 19, it's the story of Zacchaeus. And it's this great picture of someone responding in faith to Jesus. And um, remember, we've talked in, in these weeks at length about the concept that um, of, of uh, in the New Testament we often we often hear or read sinners and tax collectors, and that um, the reason that there's an extra grouping for tax collectors is that they're the worst of the worst. That the at the time in that culture in the Jewish culture, tax collectors were absolutely the worst of the worst. They weren't allowed in the temple. You, you, if you were a, uh, a, a Jewish person, you, you didn't have tax collectors in your home. You didn't invite them for meals. Uh, it would have been far more likely that you would have had a murderer over than a tax collector. Um, because they were considered treasonous. They collected money for Rome. They were considered complete sellouts. They were the absolute worst of the worst. And I've made the distinction that in every culture, um, there tends to be a group that gets singled out by whatever's happening. And that we need to be, it's very pharisaical, we need to be very careful that we don't become like that and start to label people by their sin and have our own tax collectors that we don't want anything to do with or associate with because it's not how Jesus did it. And Jesus' point was that he would absolutely deal with the lowest of the low who, who wanted to associate with him. So not only did he hang out with sinners, he hung out with tax collectors. Zacchaeus is in that group. He's a tax collector. He's the lowest of the low. And um, Zacchaeus is obviously, uh, scripturally, Scripture tells us he's short of stature, and he, he wants to see Jesus. And so he climbs up in a tree, which is pretty significant. Um, he's sort of going out on a limb, if you would. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I just came up with that just now. And you can tell. 
And so, Jesus sees him and, and gives me opportunity. I want to go to your house today. And his, his response, he obviously had a choice to make. And he jumps down gladly. Yeah, come on over. Um, remember, it's a big deal because these were outcasts. They, they, and and to, to be recognized in this fashion by Jesus was a big deal. We, we've already seen how Matthew responded, who was another tax collector, just dropped it all and followed him. Well, here's Zacchaeus. And um, so, uh, so uh, you know, touched by this movement of the Lord towards him, Zacchaeus repents, and he does some fascinating things. Um, first off, he says he's going to give half of everything that he's got to the poor. That's pretty significant. Plus, not only that, he's going to pay back four times the amount of anybody that he's wronged, which is probably another pretty significant number. And he's, he's just ready to pay it back. Now, hold this in contrast, because it's meant to be held in contrast by, by a story we read in the last chapter. Do you remember the story of the rich young ruler? So, so here's the picture, see? Here's a guy who comes to Jesus, the rich young ruler, and he says... Good teacher, and remember the whole thing is no one's good. He wouldn't see him as God, but he saw him as good. That's how, how the rich young ruler saw Jesus. Problem number one, there's no faith there. But he says to him, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Remember the question? And Jesus gives him the relational commandments in the top ten. You know, honor your parents, love one another, blah, blah, blah. You, you know the deal. The, I could go back and look at him, but you get the part of the story. And the guy kind of says, he does say, all those I've kept since I was young, which is a pretty bold statement because he probably hadn't. But nonetheless, he was feeling pretty good about himself. And so Jesus says, oh, okay. Well, then all you need to do is go sell all you got, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And he couldn't do it. Now, the problem wasn't his wealth. The problem was putting his money before God. That was the issue. That's what anything that we put before God is the issue. Now contrast a tax collector. Here's a good guy. Here's a guy that looks good, followed the law, did, did the religious thing, looked great. Remember, the disciples thought, if that rich guy who's doing everything right can't make it, how in the world can anybody make it? That was the whole thing. Luke puts this story right here on purpose. Here's a tax collector. Here's a guy who's hated, who's, who, who is considered the, the, the lowest of the low in, in the sin world. And in response to Jesus' movement towards him, what's he say? I don't care about the money. I'll give it back. I'll give it away. I don't care. I just want to follow after you. Do you see the difference in the context of what happens and, and how, how amazing it is to respond in faith to Jesus and that, that it's a life changing event um, when you respond to Jesus in faith it's a life changing event because every, the way you look at everything will ultimately change because the stuff that you thought was important isn't important the, 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 everything gets made different it gets made new it gets made whole that's, that's what happens in response to Jesus in faith and, and that's the process that he begins to work in all of us so, so faith in Jesus changes everything. Now, it's also a pivotal story because uh, from here, the discussion then begins to talk about the cost of discipleship. And let me, because I, I think when I use words like cost, people immediately think of financial cost, and that's not what I'm talking about. 
Ultimately, the cost of being a disciple is obedience. That's the cost. The cost of being a disciple of Christ is obedience. Will you be obedient or will you be disobedient? That's, those are the choices. And, and the, the parable that he lays out in, um, in, in verses 11 through 28 um, point to this whole process. And the, um, the story that uh, you heard me read, the parable, is about um, uh, a, a, a person who's going to be king who gets his servants together and gives them all some money, tells them to go and deal with it, and, and then when he comes back, he'll settle up accounts at that point in time. And, and you sort of, you see three categories of people in the story. There's, there's people that will be obedient in their service to him. Then there's those that will say that they're going to serve him, but not. And then there's his enemies. And that in response to each one of those, there's, there's a ultimate thing that happens. So when, when the king returns, he comes to see what's happening with what he left people to do. And one, a couple of guys are able to come and say, look, I took your ten and I doubled it. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now you get to rule over ten cities. The reward is amazing. Another one has five, five cities. Uh, another, uh, and then a guy comes and said, well, you know, I didn't, I wasn't sure about you and so I just stuck it in a cloth. And he says, well, then you, you lose what you had. I'm going to give it to one of these people. And then there's another group, the third group, which were his enemies that didn't even want him to be king. And when you read that story, you find out that their end is not very good. <laughs> you can go back and read it again if you want. It wasn't good. Just let me leave you with that one. And, and the thing is, though, that, that each of those stories is, is about ultimately choosing to follow Christ and then the cost, which is obedience, and yet your obedience in following Christ ultimately ends up in reward. That, that far outweighs the cost. And yet, we have to struggle through that here because this is very temporary and it feels like it's a huge cost. See, that's the thing. Sometimes following Christ will feel to you like a huge cost. Well, I can't do what other people do and I can't, you know, well, I, I need to do the right thing and other people are doing the not right thing and it looks like they're getting away with it. Maybe only temporarily. See, that's the difference. And and that's the, the element of the story in in what's happening. And um, it, he follows up now in, in verses 28 through 40 um, with this, um, this amazing thing that ties in those first few stories. Um, Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey, young colt. And, and prophecy is fulfilled. And the true di- disciples of Jesus, it says, begin to rejoice because of all the miracles they have seen. And so... See this picture, and you need to see this picture. Of the, and Jesus says you can't stop them. They're just—it's all clicking for them right now. It's all coming together, because they've—they've they've had all these ideas, but right now they're, they're sort of—it's all clicking into the lives of these people who've chosen to follow me. They're putting it all together, and they're seeing prophecy fulfilled as I'm, I'm coming in, and they're just—they're re, just rejoicing. You couldn't stop them. If you try and stop them, the rocks will sing out, because of what's taking place right now, and and. And the picture is this, that the cost of following Jesus is always worth it. Always. See, that's the picture. It's always worth it. 
No matter what they live through, no matter what happens, it's going to be worth it. And, and so the spin on it all is that true discipleship is not really costly at all. It's great gain. It's just looking at it from a temporal perspective. looks like, well, I have to give up. But you gain everything. Ultimately, you give up nothing and gain everything. But it's how we look at it, see? And so again, he's working on, Luke, is the way that we see things and what response in faith to Christ is really all about. And then in the, in the next, end, end of this next chapter and, and, and the next, uh, in verse 20 and actually then on, we're going to be looking at two more tremendous costs. Um, one of them will be the cost of choosing not to follow Jesus. And the other will be the cost to Jesus himself to make us a, a path to life. And so that's what's coming in the weeks ahead. We're going to shut it down right there for tonight, okay? And uh, if you're watching my video, thank you for watching. God bless you guys. If you need anything, call us right as you're up in Williston. We love you. And we'll, uh, we'll be up and see you soon and uh, see what's happening. But we're going to close tonight with prayer. So if you guys have your prayer requests filled out, you want me to pray for them, pass them up to me. And then uh, we'll call it a day. Eddie, if you're up there turning off the video, let me know. Or I'm going to send someone up there to turn it off. Thank you.